We are continuing, and it's my privilege to share with you this morning, in our series on First Peter, and it's looking very much at living our, our spiritual and Christian life on the earth at the moment. It's talking about where we are at this time and, and what we need to be doing. And so far, we've managed to cover the first 12 verses. We're going on from verse 13 now, and we've talked about the fact that, and we'll take a lot of time to get through 1 Peter 1. There's a lot here for us. But we've looked at the fact that, and Peter's addressed issues like the fact that we have a hope and an eternal hope in glory that has been secured for us, that our hope in Christ is not, I wish that would happen and maybe it will, it's a hope that says it will happen, he's, he's guarding over that hope. And we've looked at the fact that there are trials and tribulations that will come our way, but God is guarding our faith in our ability to come through that. Um, and last week, Ed looked at the fact that we are, are blessed to have the knowledge that we have, that there are things that we've been exposed to that the angels would have loved to have known that God has revealed to us as his children and spoke about where we are. Peter then gets down to talking about the practicalities of living our life for Christ in this world. And the first thing that he does is talk about holiness and preparing our minds to serve God. Um, I want to read the scripture, and I've just gone to the wrong one. How have I lost my place? Excuse me just a moment. 1 Peter 1 verses 13 to 16, I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. When Peter begins to speak about how we should respond to this great promise that we have and how we should respond in the times of trials and how we should respond with the, the privileged place that we have, he starts off with the instruction to be holy. And that's a big one. I don't know about you, but what do you see as holiness? You know, it's one of those concepts like faith that we can make very obscure and very uh, formless and, and we can say, well, I want to have more faith, but I don't quite understand what I need to do. And I've preached once before, probably about four or five years ago, that some of us approach it almost like bodybuilders. I'm going to strengthen my, my faith muscles. I believe for this until the veins pop out on my forehead. And that's not what having faith is about. Having faith is about practically putting into play what you believe God can do. It's about saying, I believe what he says to the extent that I will do something about it. It's a practical step. If we, if we make things too obscure and and unformed, it's our cop out. Well, I can't do that because I don't quite understand it. So what is being holy? Um, does it mean that we have halos and we walk around with these little floating lights behind us like the nativity play with the little angels? Does it mean that we have an aura of light around us, that we, we walk around in a state of spiritual ecstasy and we are holy? If that's what we're thinking, then it's really difficult to do that. Where do I start? What's the practical beginning of starting with that? So Peter begins to give some understanding in a practical way of what it is to be holy because for, for us to be able to walk in holiness it needs to be something doable um, I need to say right at the beginning I haven't cracked the concept of this in my life so please don't look to me as your holy leader I'm working on it and as we go through this we'll realize that it's a process that we go through and it's a challenge for us can I just give that to you thanks love um Eternal spirits, and this I need to remind you again, when we talk about developing our lives in our Christian walk daily, 
There is a task that's already been completed, and I will repeat it over and over again because it's important. We are not working to make ourselves acceptable to God. We can never do that. We are not working for our salvation. We are not meeting a standard of salvation. We have been given salvation through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He fulfilled the plan and purpose of God. He was holy. He has made us righteous before God, and we cannot do that for ourselves. It's a free gift from God, and once you are born again, you are righteous before God, and you are going to heaven. You can't work on that, and no one can take that away. That's in the bank. That's our hope of glory that we have. That's our secureness in God. We are anchored in holy places by Christ Jesus. He's our advocate in heaven. He's praying for us in heaven. That is secured. But how we live our life down here is a process that we can work towards and we can do something about. And so we are called to be holy as he is holy. Peter gives his first guidance by saying to people they need to prepare their minds. Let's just read that scripture again. Therefore, with minds that are fully alert... Our minds need to be alert. We need to prepare our minds. Now, I know there are Greek-speaking people here, so I really get into deep water when I start using my Greek words that I get from a concordance, and I hope I say them right. But the, the, the Greek word for mind used here is the word dianoia. It's used 12 times in the New Testament. And it refers to the working of the mind. It refers to how we use our minds. It refers to our intellect. It refers to making decisions. And that's really, really important because holiness, we can see in some people's mind is a, is a feeling, it's a shua, there's holiness around here. But actually it involves a decision. It involves many decisions. Um, much of our thinking is in response to programming that we've had in our life, our experience and what we've been taught. And when we get to make a choice, we dig into that experience. So a child um, finds out that one day they touch the cooker and it hurts their hand, and so next time when they walk towards the cooker, they don't touch it because they've learned that, and it's stored in their mind, and they use their mind to say, that is not good for me. And as we go through life, we, we develop a sense of this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this works, and this doesn't work. And that is both good, because we learn from our mistakes, but it's limiting. Because if we haven't experienced something or done it or don't understand it, we will tend to shy away from it. When we're called to be holy in our thinking, I look at it this way. When I become a child of God, I become exposed to God's way of thinking. I become exposed to God's plan and His thinking through His Word and through His Holy Spirit in me. And I get challenged sometimes to have my thinking in line with that rather than with my experience and the world that I've lived in. I can give you two very simple examples. The Apostle Peter is in a boat in a storm with the other disciples Jesus comes walking on the water, and Peter, I think, in a moment of great strength or weakness, says, Lord, if it's really you, ask me to come to you. And Jesus says, come, walk on the water. Now, there is a place in Peter's mind where it's firmly established you don't get out of the boat while it's at sea. Getting out the boat is fine when you're at the beach. That works. Getting out of the sea doesn't work. Years and years and years of a fish, as a fisherman, and all he's been taught by his father and his grandfather says, don't get out of the boat in the middle of a storm in the sea. You're going to sink. But God's word and the instruction of Jesus says to him, come towards me. And so he has a decision to make. Do I follow what I believe is right because of my experience? Or am I prepared to override that by obeying the instruction that Jesus Christ brings to me, that God brings to me? And he makes the decision to get out and stand on the water. And strangely, it works. And I think I've said before, it's never worked for me. Um, I remember as a youngster being at a swimming pool back in South Africa 
in one of my friend's back gardens and, and, and thinking, let's just give this a try. And, uh, and every, every time I stepped off the side of the pool into the water, I went to the bottom. It, every single time, 100%. And that's what my experience is. But when Jesus said to Peter, right now, it's right for you to walk on the water, his word overrode. And Peter had a decision to make. What do I believe? Do I do Jesus' way or do I do my way? Um, the other example is the disciples when Jesus fed the 5,000. You've got 5,000 people. And they see in Jesus' possession five loaves and two fishes. And he says to them, get the people to sit down in groups and go and feed them with this. Now, again, everybody's logic is five loaves, two fishes, 5,000 people. Long division. Hmm, this is not really going to work. And yet they had to make a decision. Were they going to say, Lord, that's impossible. We will not do that. You're asking us to do something which will embarrass us, and this is ridiculous. Or are they in a position to say, because we know this Jesus, because we have walked with him, because we have seen what he could do, because we have learned to trust him, we are prepared to believe him over and above what our experience and our teaching says, and we're prepared to step out and do this thing and make a decision to do it his way rather than our way. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, it says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He says that all of us should love God. It's not just an emotional thing, although in loving God there is often emotion because he's a wonderful person. And when we are in wonderful times of prayer or, or, or worship, we, we often feel emotional about what God has done in our lives. And when God intervenes in a wonderful and miraculous way, we feel emotional. But it's not just emotion. It's not just a heart thing. It's also a head thing. He says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. In other words, I'm taking this powerful part, this, the center of my life, the, the, the framework that I live by that's been established over years of, of effort in studying and experiencing and being taught and remembering, I'm taking that and I'm saying, I'll give even that to you because living a godly life is not about walking around in a religious ecstasy. It's not just that I will hear God when I'm feeling super holy. Something has happened and I walk out and I, I can serve God now. I'm holy. I've I've, I've come to a place of living a godly life, living holiness is a series of decisions. Think about your day. Your day is full of decisions. Some of them are very small and unimportant, and some of them are very, very important and life-changing. Every decision gives you different options, and somewhere in there is what you can learn to understand is God's plan for your life. And then comes the, the situation. You, to, to make godly decisions, to make any decision, you need to have a knowledge of the facts, and then you have the willpower to put that into, into, into play. And when we live a godly, holy life for God by bringing our mind in submission to Him, there needs to be an understanding of what God wants. So to live a holy life, I need to get to know God and His Word and what His plan and His purpose is by studying His Word, by spending time with Him, and by making place for the Holy Spirit to operate in my life. I need to, first of all, recognize in this decision I'm making what is God's plan. And secondly, I need to have the courage and the integrity to follow what I know is God's plan. And that's, all, that's the difficult part. Well, they're both, they're both a challenge. If you, I'm going to be quite challenging now, but if all you do in your Christian walk is come here once a week and hear the sermons, you're going to grow to a certain extent in your walk with Christ. If you're not spending any time with Him, if you're not giving Him the chance to make His Word come alive in your heart, if you're not spending time in His Word, your ability to grow in his, your understanding of him is going to be limited. There's, there's, there's an effort required. 
There is a commitment required to know who God is. I've, I've said this many times before. I've been married to my wife for 40 years. I know her quite well. I know if somebody reports certain things to me that she said this or that, that will puzzle me because I think that's not what she believes. I can recognize her opinion. I don't have to ask for it anymore much because she's given it to me already in a very good way. <laughs> and I know it and understand it. And we need to draw near to God in a way that we begin to, to know him so well that we recognize his voice in a situation. That's the first part of the process where we are with alert minds. We are there to hear and understand what God is saying to us and to recognize this is the voice of God. In a simple term, God's not going to say to you, yeah, that guy was nasty to you, so be nasty back. Hate him. Take revenge. Somewhere in your Christian life, you will have heard that God says, that's not what we do. We forgive, and the vengeance is his. And so we can say, that's not God's voice. What's the voice that's saying something else? And that voice is saying forgive and, and, and restore. And if we know him, we know that's his voice. So there's a process of getting to know him because we choose to to recognize that voice. And then there's the integrity and the, and the faith aspect saying, because of that, I will do what he's called me to do. So holiness is not just that feeling. It's a decision. God wants us to love him knowingly. I, I get very nervous when I, I see people trying to influence people into salvation through just feelings or, or promises of rewards because people will become easily disappointed when everything doesn't go fantastically. It's a conscious decision we make, and when we make a decision to follow Christ, it's a conscious decision. He wants us to understand. Now, it involves the supernatural because we're believing in an unseen God. We're believing in a Holy Spirit that we can't see. That does require the faith. But once we have come to that point, it's the intellectual decision to put that into practice that takes us through every single day. I can't just wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to walk with God according to how I feel this way. Well, I feel very holy this morning. I had a good night's sleep. Uh, breakfast was good. Um, I've got a, a good day ahead of me. The appointments all look like once, so I'll be holy today. Um, I'll just go on that feeling, Dr. Feelgood, there I go. I feel holy, oh so holy. It's not like that. I wish it was <laughs> to some extent. But the danger of that is when you wake up in the morning when you haven't had a good night's sleep and it isn't all great, then you, I don't feel holy. It's not that. It's that decision that you make to put into practice the truth that God has revealed to you. And it's our responsibility to work that out in our lives. Now, it's really important that we don't think this is, again, this is working out our salvation. Or this is either I do that and God will reward me or I don't do that and God will punish me. And that will move on because I'll talk about that in just a moment. But the next thing that Peter says to them he tells them to control themselves. If we look at the scripture, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert, we are open and we are understanding to God's voice, and we're ready to make decisions with our minds, and fully sober. Now, when we talk about sober, we immediately think about the term drunk. And it isn't necessarily Peter's main factor that he's saying that to be holy, it's about physical alcohol. But to be sober is to be in control of yourself and to be thoughtful, to be not sober is to be out of control. Somebody who has reached that stage in the party where they're standing on the coffee table with a lampshade on their head and a hairbrush in their, mouth, in their hand singing, I will survive, or something like that, at that point, they're not really making proper decisions anymore. The alcohol has befuddled their, their, their thinking, and they are no longer in control to the extent that legally people will get off certain uh, responsibilities because they will be deemed to have been not in control of themselves. It will not be a murder, it will be a manslaughter because they were drunk. 
They weren't able to make a decision what they're doing. They're still held responsible for making that decision. But there is a sense that when we are not sober, we are not in control. Being sober is being thoughtful and being in control and thinking it's, it's not allowing ourselves to be reprogrammed by something that places out of control. I just want to find something that I wrote. A drunk person is not control of their behavior. The alcohol in their system means they're not physically, emotionally, or intellectually functioning thoughtfully and sensibly to the extent that courts will absolve them from certain responsibilities. Peter's not just talking about being drunk. He's talking about not being in control of your own opinions and thoughts, about thinking things through and being responsible for our decisions. Holiness is about taking responsibility for our actions. We sometimes make an excuse... I don't understand this. I, I, I wasn't thinking straight. And, and that happens in our lives. But we can't keep using that as an excuse. At some point as Christians, we need to say, actually, what is influencing my mind? Is it everybody else's opinion? Is it fashion? Is it current trends? Is it a blogger or a vlogger or, or a conspiracy theory or whatever it might be? What is, what is controlling my decision-making? You know, it's not about God brainwashing us. It's about us saying, I decide. I make that intellectual conscious decision to actually take control and do what I thinkingly and knowingly and pragmatically have decided is God's will in my life. Who's in control of your thinking? You know, if you can look at us as Christians growing up from being spiritual babies to being spiritually mature, there's certain times in our physical growth and our intellectual and emotional growth when we're very vulnerable to other people's opinions. Teenagers hate to be told this, but they're very vulnerable to other people's opinions. They're at a stage in their life when they're trying to develop a self-image. And that self-image is very complicated because they have a picture of who they think they should be, and that's created by social media and by advertising. They're supposed to look like this, dress like this, speak like this, go to these places, listen to this music. They have a perception of what they think they are themselves. They have a perception of what other people, they think other people think they are. It gets very confusing, and that's why you have these young people who are at a very, very vulnerable place of handing over control of their lives to peer pressure or to their friends. And then, hopefully, they grow through that and become more in control of their own lives, own lives and make decisions because of good thinking processes, good pragmatic thinking processes. Well, in our spiritual growth, we're pretty much the same. There's vulnerability in our lives sometimes where we give away that control to the opinions of other people, which we don't check out and we don't research and we don't lay against God's Word. And we are not, you know, Scripture says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And if you look at the translation, it says of self-control. Peter's saying to people, you take control of your life. And then when you have control of your life, you decide to submit that to God because you have decided logically and pragmatically that that's what you believe is the best way you should go. So knowingly and sensibly and in control, you walk in the decisions. Think about this fact. If you stopped with every decision you made and said, what would God want? And now let's be serious. I don't think God's going to make heaven jump up and down because you chose a toasted ham and cheese over a toasted cheese and tomato. There are aspects of our life that are not life-changing, but Every decision that, every big decision that you've made in your life with regard to how you treat people, if you submitted that to what you know God wants, how would your life be different? Every business decision that you made, 
every decision that you made as, as a member of your family, if you submitted that to what you knew was God's will, if you took the time to know what God's will is in those situations, and you took control of your own life and said, I'm going to submit that to God, how different would our lives be? Our lives would be holy. Not just a feeling, but we'd be walking in the path that God has set for us. It's not, it's not easy. I'm not saying that holiness is easy, but I'm saying it's not as esoterical or, or obscure or theoretical as we sometimes like to make it. Because if we make it that, we can say, well, I would love that, but it's impossible. You know, when the Bible talks about love and it says, love your enemy, and we go, that's a lovely concept, but that's impossible. No, it's not, because the love that's being talked about there is not an emotion. It's a decision to treat them correctly. It's a God love. There's so many things in the Bible that we put in that place of, I can't do it, so it's, it's a nice thought. And every now and then, I will step into holiness and I will step into faith. But in actual fact, it's a process that we can work out, that we grow in because we make decisions. God doesn't give us things to do that are impossible for us to do. They're sometimes jolly difficult. We spend our whole lives trying to do it. But there is step that we can take every day to grow more in that part of our lives. The third thing that Peter challenges them about is to put this earthly life into perspective. He says this, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And this ties into a theme that's been running through what we've looked at all the way through now. Because when I spoke two weeks ago about the trials we go through, Peter gives us this understanding that there is a much bigger picture than just this life on earth and what I do from day to day. And the consequences of what I do today, day to day can affect other people's lives very profoundly. Therefore, it's worth me sacrificing my will for the greater purpose that God has. It's worth it for me to go through trials and challenges now and to live out God's plan and purpose for my life in those trials and challenges, because there is a greater reward, there is a greater picture, there's eternity, this life we live is such a short one. Giving this to God and walking in His holiness is worth it. And it talks about the grace, and I just had a look at what that word means, and it talks about this, this is from Strong's definition, it talks about um, it being gratitude and joy and liberality and thanks, Thayer's definition says this, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loving, grace, or speech. We are anticipating the fullness of God's joy and, and plan for our future to be lived out in eternity with Him. Eternity in being in the fullness of God is what lies ahead of us. And right now I have to make a decision about whether I'm going to respond to unkindness with anger or with forgiveness. And my flesh is screaming, but you don't like this person, so take revenge, be catty, be snide, be unkind, use your influence to put them down, make them feel bad. And we're saying, right now, I want to fulfill that desire of my flesh. Somebody hurts us, and we want to hurt them back. And God is saying, forgive, love your enemies, and we have a choice. That is the eternal path to God's reward, and the other one is my flesh getting its way now in the short term. And again, I want to say, it's not a, when we are looking at this reward that God brings into our lives, it's not about, as a believer, I'm born again in Jesus Christ. I'm going to heaven. That's been done. I'm righteous before God. It's not about getting to heaven because I'm, I'm submitting to His will. It's about building up that reward. 
how can I put this? I don't want my soul accomplishment in eternity as being unpunished. I did just enough in accepting Jesus Christ to go to heaven and not go to hell. That's my ambition in life. No, that's a great thing. That's a fantastic thing. But the Bible says we have the option of being welcomed into heaven with these words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want that. I want that and all that goes with that. I don't want just to be unpunished. And so when we look to this grace and we look to this reward, it's a challenge to us to look in perspective to giving in to that short-term gratification of my will and my plan and saying, well, I'm just a man. I'm not holy as God is. Or making the decision for the long-term fulfilling of God's purpose in my life and taking that another step down the road to becoming holy as he is holy. Can we do it? It's jolly difficult. But guys, Jesus did it as a man. Do you realize, I, this is something I, I, I keep reminding myself, we, we often say we are grateful because Jesus died for us. And I am grateful that Jesus died for me. But before he died for me, he lived for me for 33 years. For him to fulfill God's plan, he needed to be sinless. He needed to walk in holiness. And that meant that for 33 years, each of those decisions that came his way, he had to weigh up against what his earthly feelings were and what his father was telling him to do. And at one point he says, I only do the things my father says. He made choices. I, I, I think about this often. We are foolish if we think that Jesus hung on the cross before thousands of people that were shouting and screaming and were crucifying and murdering him and thought, thought, this feels really good. Because I'm fulfilling my father's purpose, I feel really good about this. I feel comfortable. I feel fulfilled. He must have felt pain and anger and bitterness and wanted to lash out and think, who are these people doing this to me? I'm the son of God. But he chose to be holy. He chose to say, Father, forgive them. It was not a feeling. It was a decision in terms, why? Because of the great love that he had for us and his desire to see us enjoying the grace of God in that fulfillment. It's a sense of perspective that Peter brings back time and time again. And the final thing that Peter says to them in these scriptures is he tells them to face the reality of what God is like. God is set apart from human sin. He is. He can't sin and he cannot abide sin. The grace that comes to us through the blood of Jesus Christ protects us from that and makes us righteous before God. But God has chosen to set himself away from sin and he calls us to make a decision to set ourselves apart. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, and I don't want to go into this too much because it's someone's sermon in a couple of weeks' time or a couple of months' time when we get to, to 1 Peter 2. But it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare praises of him. We are chosen. We are set apart. In the King James Version, it's, uh, the old King James, it says, you are a, a chosen people, a royal nation, a peculiar people. And that word peculiar comes down to being obtained by, being the property of, being different. Guys, if we want to walk in the holiness of God, we are going to be different from everybody else that doesn't. There is a mindset that says, I'm going to live as much like anybody else in the world so that by being amongst everybody in the world and doing all that they do, I can win people across. Jesus went amongst sinners, amongst tax collectors and prostitutes and drunkards, and he didn't become like them. He was a part, but his love, he gave them something, and they saw something different, and they wanted it. He comes into the home of, of, of Zacchaeus, who's, who's a tax collector. He was a basically organized crime in his city, and he comes into his home, 
where other people say, don't go there. Jesus goes there, but he goes there holy, and he comes away having changed them and not being changed by them. We've got to be careful by the, that philosophy that says, I, I was... I remember years ago, I, I played in a Christian band, and we had a, a really lovely young Christian guy that was part of the band. And years later, I met him, and he said, I've come to understand the grace and the freedom of God. And so I've changed my lifestyle. And his language was filthy, and his sense of humor was, was bad. And he said, I get more contact with people this way. And I just wanted to cry out, because that's not what grace says we should do. That's not what's going to change people's lives. I am not an expert on, on Judaism, but I taught a little bit of it at school in RS. And one of the things that, that was interesting to me when I began to look at it is the Jewish concept nowadays of the Messiah or the Messianic age differs from different Jewish styles of worship. But there is a consistent thought through that, the, that either the Messiah's return or the introduction of the Messianic age will be when they accomplish what they've been sent to do, which was to fulfill the law, because they still believe they're under the law, not under grace. And so it will happen when they do what God said. They, they, they believe that they were a nation, and are a nation that's been put there for the world to be attracted to God. When they are living in the fullness of God's purpose for them, by doing what they believe they should do, then the world will be changed by seeing the fullness of God in that nation. Isn't that interesting? Because that was the role that they were called to play, in Old Testament times, but it's a role that we call to play now. We are to bring people to God by lifting Him up, by being like Him. I don't change people's lives by becoming like them. Hopefully, I can play a role in changing people's lives by giving them something different when they can see the reality of God changing my life from day to day, step by step, to become more like Him. They will see something that they want. You know, one of the things that I've realized is that it's becoming very difficult for people to find anywhere to place their feet nowadays. We're living in a world which says, truth is no longer truth, you have your truth. And so somebody will believe one thing one day and another thing the next day, they'll live one thing one day and then they'll change everything. And heroes rise and fall. Heroes become heroes very quickly nowadays. You just have to get so many likes on Instagram and, and you're a hero. Then all it takes is you saying something that is not acceptable in today's world culture, and then you get canceled and you disappear. So finding something to put your foot on is very difficult. When pupils left my school to go on, and we're a Christian school where we try and help young people to stand, I would say to them that you're going to go into an environment where you're going to be in a class probably where there will be people who will push at your Christianity and scratch it and try and knock it down because it's different, but what they actually want deep inside is for it to stand firm and to have something they can believe in. You know, I have a very graphic, comic way of looking at things, and, and I believe that every one of us is created in the image of God, and if we don't have Christ in our lives, there is a Jesus-shaped space within us. We try and fill that with whatever we can shove in there, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and fame, and whatever it might be, but nothing fits it completely except Jesus. People are looking for that reality. If we are children of God, then they're looking for us to be different. They're looking for us to be constant. They're looking to see His character and nature. And they're not looking for us to be like them. They're looking for something to aspire to. Does that mean I have the pressure to be perfect? I can't. But I can let the reality of God's changing power in my life grow from day to day as I walk on the path 
of holiness, to be set apart as He is set apart. If you want to be like everybody else, that's not what Scripture says. It says you're a peculiar people. You belong to someone else. It says that we're passing through here. We are travelers in a foreign land. It doesn't call us to be obnoxious, unfriendly, accusing sheriffs passing through the land of those that are below us and we're here to make you see we're better than you. It means that we're living in a place of God's love and wanting to reach out to people, but setting an example of what the life-changing experience is of having God in our lives. That's my simple understanding of what Peter's saying here. And I hope it's valuable to you because as long as it just remains something that's floating there, it's a feeling of holiness, it's a perception of holiness, it's what I have occasionally when I've been in prayer for a long time, that's hard to attain. But if I've got something that I can work on, I can put my foot on, I can say, well, what's my next step? Well, what do we talk about in, in, in having an alert mind? Get to know him better. Get to recognize his voice. How do you do that? Easy place to start is with his word and asking the Holy Spirit to make that come alive to you. Get to know the character and the person. God reveals himself through his word so powerfully, not just in what he says, but in how he treats people and what he does. Every bit of the Bible shows us God interacting with mankind, and it shows us his character and his nature and his personality and his will. And the more we take that in and the more we take that to him in times of intimacy with him as we pray and offer up to him, the more he's able to make that come alive in our lives and we can recognize the choices that we have to make. All you had to do to get saved was acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ and ask for him to save you. That's all you had to do. That's really as simple as that. But now, if you want to fulfill your purpose in his life, there is something that you need to do. You need to grow in that process. And that's what Peter is saying to this church. And he's putting it against that eternal consequence and that eternal reward and saying, what we do down here is part of God's plan to lead mankind into a relationship with him. And I have a part to play. I can opt into that or I can stand on the sidelines. I would challenge you today, let's take a step forward in growing holy as he is holy to be set apart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you set an example for us in every word that you speak, in everything that you did. As we looked at your life, we could see an example of someone being obedient to their father and being set apart. I pray, Lord, that we will grow to recognize your voice and that you will help us to have the courage by your Holy Spirit to make our decisions for you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your grace that lifts us up when we don't measure up and we don't succeed. Thank you that your love for us doesn't change for one moment. Thank you that our salvation is not in jeopardy because you've made us righteous through Jesus Christ, that he's done all the work. But Lord, we want to be useful in your hands. We want to make a difference in this world that we're in. So help us, Lord, to be set apart, to be that chosen nation, that royal priesthood, and that peculiar people. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We do have a prayer team that will be available um, at the sofas after the service if you have any uh, prayer requests and a need for someone to pray with you. Thank you for being here this morning. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And go forth and be holy. Amen.